James chapter 2, and we're going to begin at verse 14. We've been in a series on the book of James. I don't know about you, but boy, it's ministering to me in a very powerful way. And today, there's an important question. In fact, it's the title of my message. Is my faith dead or alive? Is my faith dead or is my faith alive? I think we all want to have living faith, and we're going to talk about how we have that. James chapter 2 and verse 14, are you there? Here we go. Uh, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Demons believe the Bible and they have the fear of the Lord. But what, you, what do you want to know, O foolish man? Do you uh, want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Yikes. So believing isn't enough. Faith isn't enough. Oh, we're going to talk about this. This is going to help some of us. We're going to move into new realms of faith even today. Hallelujah. I want you to help me pray right now. Let's pray for a mighty anointing to just come, that wisdom and revelation would saturate this atmosphere. Holy Spirit, we do. We welcome you. Lord, to speak to us the living word in the mighty name of Jesus. God, not just rhetoric, not just doctrine, even demons have doctrine. Lord, we need more than that. We need living faith. We need your living word. God, I ask you to breathe upon this message today. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears that hear. Give us a heart and a mind that receives what your spirit is speaking. I bind the works of the enemy. He would seek to distract, to distort, to confuse, or uproot your word as it comes forward. Lord, I pray, give us liberty in receiving what you are speaking today. I commit this message to you, O Lord. Use it. Minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody say, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start out today by giving you some marriage advice. Um, I know our marriage upgrades in a couple weeks, but if you're single and looking, if you are married and want your marriage to be good, uh, or, you know, this even applies to friendships, okay? If you just got a friend and you want to be a good friend, my wife has taught me something. Your words do not matter if you don't back it up with your actions. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm a words guy. Okay, and so this is a hard lesson for me. Like, I get encouraged by words. I encourage others with words. That's, that's what I do. That's who God built me to be. And so, man, listen, you can bring me a gift, and I appreciate it, but really all I need is for someone to say, good job, Pastor Jacob. 
man, that was a good message. And I'll just be like on top of the world for the entire week. Conversely, if you tell me that was a stinky message, Pastor Jacob, that will crush me for about three weeks. I don't know. So you just keep that to yourself. But my, my point is, like, my wife and I, like, I, I know how to talk good, okay? I'll, I'll come up with the solutions. And I don't know, men tend to be fixers, and uh, I deal with problems within the household even the same way that I preach. Leah, let's come up with a three-step plan that's going to get us back to success here, right? And, uh, but, but she's just learned, and she's told me now, you know, I, I, this doesn't matter. Show me. I can have a three-step plan to keep laundry off of the side of my bed, but until I show her that I'm going to do it. Now, I'm not actually doing that. The Lord's working on me in different areas of my life, so we'll, we'll pray for that one some other time. But words don't matter unless it's backed up with action. Words matter very little. Unless you're actually going to do something, and all the ladies say, I hope you guys are paying attention. This is going to help you. This is why you got fights in your household, okay? But, uh, but this is even what the Bible is talking about. We can declare wonderful intentions, big vision. We can use words of faith, but if we do not act on our faith, friend, the Bible says your faith is dead. If your faith does not move you to action, the Bible says that your faith is dead. And don't think, I've had people like even ask me, like, does this agree with what Paul said? It's by faith alone in Jesus and his accomplishments. This doesn't disagree with that. But the point of this is, if you love Jesus and if he's transformed your life, he's going to transform the way that you act the things that you do. And the Bible affirms this over and over again. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7. I'm just I'm gonna lay some foundation and then I'll give us some points. But I want you to see this is all throughout the Bible. Matthew 3 7. John the Baptist, he's preaching, he's ministering, and he says this. Uh, uh, he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize. He denounced them and said, Brood of snakes. Who warns you to flee the coming wrath? Watch this. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and have turned to God. Prove by the way that you live. We're going to have an altar call later on in this service for anybody who feels like, man, is my faith alive? This goes further than salvation, by the way. We're going to get deeper here. But... John was saying, you want to know how your faith is authentic? You want to know how you can know that you've been born again? Prove it by the way that you live. You can have a wonderful encounter at an altar, but if you don't act on what God is doing right here, friend, your faith may be dead. Yikes. Now, Jesus said, Matthew 6, uh, 5.16, rather, Matthew 5.16 let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Everybody say good works. I'm going to talk soon. I'm going to do a series on phrases that need to be redeemed within Christianity. Words like works and religion. 
and tradition. Some of these things like we've demonized in our culture today, but how many of you know in the right context, I want to be a religious man. Pure and undefiled religion, the Lord blesses. There are good works that will cause people to praise the Father in heaven. There's certain things like, don't just, like we become so, oh, I'm not saved by works. Well, friend, you need to have some works to back up your faith. Are you with me in this so far? So Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, oh, this is very important. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. That means that you're not just a sayer, but you're a doer. How many of you want to be led into heaven when you stand before his throne? When you're standing at the, I don't know if there's, I mean, there is a pearly gate. Uh, uh, Peter's not going to be there. I don't know who's going to be there. But how many of you want to get into heaven? You need to be not just a sayer but a doer of the will of God. I'm just getting started here. Here's, here's my favorite one of this bunch. Ephesians 2, 10. We, you, are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Tell your neighbor you were created for good works. Tell your other neighbor you're Christ, Christ's workmanship. You know what that is? That's, this is one of my favorite passages because that, that word workmanship, it's the Greek word poema. Everybody say poema. What does that sound like? Poem. Did you know that when Jesus was writing out your life in the things that he desired to do, it was like he was writing a piece of art? You are his workmanship. You are his masterpiece. You're like a painting that is being developed. You're like a poem that is being scripted. That is how he is developing your life. And part of what he's written in there is that you're going to do some stuff for God. Okay? So, how do we know, is my faith dead or alive? Do you want, how many of you want dead faith? All right, I'm just making sure you're paying attention. How many of you want your faith to be alive? It's living, it's active, it's effective, it's working, and it will for all eternity. Me too. So what do we need? Here's, here's three questions that we need to ask ourselves. How do we know our faith is alive? Well, number one, what do you say? What do you say? And this is where I said, I've got some longer notes here today, but I just I want you to understand this. Dead faith has empty confessions. Dead faith has empty confessions. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. Dead faith has empty confessions, but living faith has true confessions. Are we releasing empty confessions or true confessions? What does it profit a man? This is our text in verse 14. My brethren, if someone says. Everybody say says. What does it matter if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can that faith save them? You know what that is? It is an empty confession. 
It is a confession that has no weight behind it. In fact, there's a whole, I mean, this is what the whole topic of the, the book of James is really about. This is kind of the centerpiece of the book of James. We're about halfway through the entire book right now. And you'll notice he talks about what real faith and false faith looks like, what living faith and what dead faith looks like. He's given us a couple tests. He talks about, first of all, how, um, how do you deal with trials? Remember that in chapter 1 we were going through? How do you deal with trials? And how do you deal with temptation? When people flake out the moment things get difficult, it may cause you to question How authentic is my faith? Friend, I I don't know where we ever got the idea that when I give my life to Jesus, everything is going to be perfect. I'm never going to have any battles. I'm never going to have any struggles. That is false, friend. Why? Because you have just come out of the kingdom of darkness, which has a king. And you have come into the kingdom of light, which also has a king. You've come under the submission of King Jesus and Satan, whom Jesus called the prince of the power of the earth. He called him the ruler of the earth. You better believe that he is flaming mad that you're no longer serving him and you've gone on to the other side. And you don't think that he's not going to release the hounds of hell? The Bible doesn't talk about that. I don't know where that came from. But you don't believe that he's going to release the agents of hell? To try and derail your life? Friend, you're foolish. The the book of Ephesians, friend, it talks about how we are in warfare. So you need to keep your armor on. You need to keep your prayer life up. What's going to happen is the moment trials come, the moment even just a wind of temptation comes, it'll derail you. Is your faith alive? Is it living? Is it active? We talked about in chapter 1 and moving into chapter 2 how living faith hears the Word of God and does the Word of God. In fact, it uses this phrase, I believe in verse 20, chapter 1, about keeping yourself unstained from the world. Hallelujah. Are you hearing and are you obeying the Word of God? This is what we live by. This is the standard by which we live. The Apostle Paul on one occasion said that you are, he was talking to the church in Philippi, and he uses this phrase a number of times, you're my living epistle. Like, you guys model what the Word of God is in action, made manifest. Let me ask you, do you think there's people that look at King's Kona and say, I've never read the Bible? But I see the Bible when I see those people. Do they look at your life and say, I don't know what the Bible is all about, but man, if I ever saw a real Christian, that's what it is. There's a lot of hypocrisy. There's a lot of false movements in the earth, man. But what I so yearn for is I want my life to be a living, preaching gospel that if if I'm the only gospel that anybody ever hears, I want them to know that's the real deal. Are you with me today, church? Um, You know, we can say the right stuff, but if we live in disobedience, your faith may be dead. Chapter 3, oh man, we haven't even gotten into this. I know it's going to ruffle feathers when we get into chapter 3 of James. It talks about controlling the tongue. Um, 
I, I can say good faith stuff. I can sing wonderful worship songs. I can quote scripture, but I slander and I take God's name in vain and I like gossip. Friend, stop it. Stop it. We'll move on. I'm going to hammer you in a couple weeks on that one anyway, so we'll save that for another day. Chapter 4, oh man, this one's going to get us to humility. These are tests of our faith. Are you, you know Jesus, this blows my mind. He says, I did not come to be served the King of kings, the Lord of lords. If there was anybody within all of existence who deserves to be served, it's Jesus. But Jesus said, I didn't even come to be served. I came to serve. But you and I think, I'm deserving of serving. Come and serve me. Do something for me. Do you know who I am? I have a title. I lead a life group. I'm a leader in this church. Do something for me. I think Pastor Colleen got on all of our case about pride last week, didn't she? So again, I'll, I'll leave that for another week. But these are tests of our faith. Are we acting? Are we serving the very way that Jesus did? You see, in John chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus, a Pharisee. One who had a lot of the right words, but Jesus was calling into question, what's on the inside of you, Nicodemus? And all of it came down to one idea. You must be born again. That means your old life and the way of doing things is done, and now you have come into a new existence because God has transformed your life. It's not just your words, but everything about you has changed. The way you think, the way you speak, the way you serve, the things you do, the way you live, everything about you is transformed. Friend, that's what living faith looks like. I'm about to get on a soapbox here. One of the things that irritates me, you want to know something that irritates me? My wife does, okay. Anybody else want to know what irritates me? Now, I'm, I'm of the faith movement, man. I believe in the creative power of our words. But one of the things that, that just kind of irritates me a little bit is empty confessions, empty confessions when we're praying. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed for people, and I don't recall if this has happened in this church, so I'm not pointing fingers at you. It was that other church that I ministered at. But there's moments where you'll pray for somebody, and you say, how does it feel? And there is a learned response that I've heard from people, oh, by faith, I'm, I'm well. That's not what I asked you. I prayed for your hurt knee. How does it feel? Well, by faith it's healed. That's not, I don't know where we learn to talk like that. The Bible doesn't talk like that. When Jesus prayed for a blind man, he lays hands on this man, speaks vision, and he asks him, what do you see? The blind man did not respond, oh, by faith, I'm healed, Jesus. That's an empty confession. 
This man said, I see a tree. And Peter's like, oh, no, that's Andrew. Uh, That's a man, right? Right? He said, I see men like trees walking is actually what he said. He's like, okay. And Jesus prayed again. And the man was completely restored. Sometimes we feel like, well, if I speak a word that is how I feel. Now, listen, I understand. I understand. We're trying to get in alignment. We need to make some declarations. But you don't need to lie to God. It's an empty confession. I know I'm ruffling some feathers here today. But where I have seen most miracles break out, and we've seen a lot of miracles break out, it's not when somebody makes that profession, oh, by faith I am healed. Yes, sometimes we need to declare that thing. We need to call things into existence. Absolutely. I don't pray, God, will you please heal them? No, I make declarations. I make authoritative statements. You are healed in Jesus' name. And I encourage you to pray that very same way. I am healed. I am whole. I am restored in the name of Jesus. But when you check it out, how does it feel? Is it better or is it worse? Did the pain move? Did it change? Like, what actually is going on here? Am I communicating this morning? Am I? Where we've seen the most miracles take place is in that moment we pray for your back pain. And I say, now try and move it. And I've had people refuse to try and move it and say, well, by faith I'm healed. And then they just go back to their seat. But I watched, in fact, we watched it with Jen just the other week. I don't, was it your leg or where did Jen, was it your leg that we were praying for? And Jen, Jen, try and move it. And I just, I could tell by the way she immediately reacted, began to weep. I could tell that God had touched her. Why? When she moved, when she tried to do something. What did Jesus say? Faith without. Do something. Take action. We pray for something. What does it cause you to do? Not just say more words, but try and do something you could not do. Try and act on something that, man, I I wouldn't have been able to do this a moment ago, but now, now I can. All right, I better move on because I don't, you guys are dead. No, I'm just kidding. So it's not about convincing ourselves mentally this is going to happen. It's, a, it's an expectancy. It's a hope, I, I believe. And then it moves us to action. That's what living faith does. It moves us to action. Now, here's the second thing. I want you to write this down. What was the first one? I asked you what? What do you say? Are you full of empty confessions or are they full? Are they true confessions? The second thing that we, uh, I, I want to ask you today is what do you feel? These are the questions of true faith. What do you feel? Everybody say feel. I like feelings. Praise God. That's why I joined a Pentecostal church. I think it's okay to feel some stuff. Well, we don't want to be led by our feelings, friend. I do. Imagine your marriage without feelings. And we're in relationship with God, and we tell people, don't be led by your emotions. Friend, I want to have emotions with God. You feel love when you're, when you're receiving love. You feel comfort when you're feeling com- God ministers to us in our emotions. It's okay. It's okay to cry in church. 
It's okay to get mad at the devil. It's okay to have emotions. What do you feel? Because here's, here's two statements. Dead faith has false compassion, but living faith has moving compassion. I'll explain that. Dead faith has false compassion, but living faith has moving compassion. Verse 15, James chapter 2, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed, be filled. What are those? Those are empty confessions. Be warmed, be filled. But you don't give them the things that are needed for the body. What good is it? So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That phrase, go in peace, is a common uh, Jewish greeting. Um, you know, go in peace or peace be with you. God bless. I hope you do well. But there is now words being spoken without fruit. There's a lack of authentic compassion. In fact, the example that he gives is like, you, you imagine seeing somebody that's without a home or somebody who's without clothing. And you just make a declaration over them, be filled, be clothed, be housed. Friend, the Bible says that's dead. That's pointless, especially if it's within your ability to do something about it. I know this isn't an easy message for us today. But my wife and I, we had a moment this last week. We were in Dallas. And we went into a restaurant called The Ugly Heifer. <laughs> it's a great name for a restaurant. And as we walk into that restaurant, we begin to see people that we knew. In fact, on the back screen, there was this whole ministry wall. And it was talking about how when you fed the, when you fed the hungry, when you visited those who were, in, who were sick, when you visited those who were in prison, when you clothed those who were naked, Jesus said, you did that for me. This scripture is all over the back of the wall, and I'm like, wow. And then I watch this video. There's a TV screen, and we see a guy who used to cook for our homeless ministry. When we were in Dallas, we used to run a homeless ministry. We'd have church for sometimes 500 homeless individuals. We'd preach the gospel. We'd lead in worship, and then we'd feed them, and we'd clothe them. And the guy who led the feeding ministry, since we've gone, God has blessed him. He's expanded him. Now he has a whole ministry that is feeding the homeless every single day. He has a home for women who are coming out of the sex industry and they're looking for freedom. They have a home for men who are coming out of the world of drug addictions. They have a safe house for them to go to. And I'm looking. We walked in there and I'm like, that's Chef John. I couldn't believe God has so blessed him that now he also opened a restaurant in South Dallas. It's so cool. But here's the reason why we did that. As we were going down to, to minister to the homeless, we never wanted to go empty-handed. I didn't want to just be a guy on a megaphone preaching the gospel to them, as powerful as I believe that is. But I didn't want to be this guy. Be blessed. Be filled. Have a home. Have a job. And we make declarations but we do nothing to move them into the realm of what they need. And so what did we do? We began to pray. In fact, we started out just by bringing peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and bags of chips. We got this whole pallet of Takis 
uh, donated to us before talkies were even anything. They were having so much trouble selling talkies when they first came out that they were giving them away, hoping that it would gain traction. I knew the, the warehouse was right down the street, so they donated us a whole pallet of talkies. We couldn't even, the homeless guys didn't like it. It was too hot. So I ended up having a whole pallet of talkies in my office for months, <laughs> months. We tried to give them away, but um, I think the youth ministry ended up taking them. I don't know. They like that. But we would go down there with little bags, peanut butter jelly sandwiches and talkies and bottled waters, all, all donated, all brought in by people, and we would go and we'd offer them. We wouldn't just say, hey, be filled. We would fill them, and we would minister. This was my line. I say, listen, you guys want lunch? You want a sandwich? And as soon as they say yes, now listen, you got to let me pray for you. We begin to pray and prophesy. Sometimes we'd have people manifest demons. We'd cast out the devil. Oh, it was so fun. And so we would. We'd give away clothing and do all of this because of this exact passage right here. It's within our power to do good. You see, there's individuals who would go down there and they would serve the homeless, but there was never a, fee, a faith piece to it. Preach the gospel. Give an altar call. Cast out devils. Lay hands on the sick. Absolutely. But then there's people who'd go down there with only the faith piece, only words, but they would never take action. They wouldn't feed. They wouldn't clothe. They would, and so that's why we would come with both of these things. You see, Jesus, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 40, there was a leper who came to Jesus. And the Bible says that he begged him, falling on his knees before Jesus, saying, if you are willing, you are able to make me clean. And Jesus, verse 41, was moved with compassion. Everybody say, moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion for his suffering. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. He said, I am willing. Be cleansed. The leprosy left him immediately. He was cleansed, completely healed, and restored to health. You will see this in the ministry of Jesus very often. Why did he weep over Lazarus? Compassion. Why did he feed the 5,000, instead of just sending them home. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. Why did he continue to preach when he had been going for days and was exhausted? The Bible says he was moved with compassion. They're like people, like sheep without a shepherd. You understand, Jesus was moved by compassion in nearly everything that he did. Do you have a heart? the people that are in your life group. This morning, I had Brother Joseph come to me in tears. His wife went in the hospital last night. And as he began to share the need with me, we stopped. I wasn't going to wait till service. I wasn't going to wait till... No, we stopped and we prayed right there. I heard the service beginning. And I didn't... Well, I, I got something else to get to, Joseph. No, there was compassion that moved me said, right now we're going to pray for this. Right now we're going to contend for this. And we're going to continue to. She's one of those on the list of people we're contending. God's going to break the back of cancer. There's moments where I weep over this. Why? I don't have cancer. I don't know what that. But I, God gives me his heart for people. 
There's times I saw it. I don't even know what was going on in the altars here earlier this morning, but I saw Miss Judy and I think Leanne and I, I don't know, everybody was crying and just getting wrecked by the Holy Ghost. And like, what? You say, what is that about? God has emotions, God feels things. It's one of the marks, friend, of authentic faith, living faith. Do you feel or do you just make empty confessions, false compassion? Oh, we care about the homeless. We'll do something for that. God bless them. You don't actually take action. Faith without works is dead. Here's the last one. I need to, I need to draw this to a close. What do you say? What do you feel? The third one here, what do you believe? What do you believe? Everybody say believe. Dead faith has no conviction. If you're taking notes, write this down. Dead faith has no conviction, but living faith is fully convinced. Dead faith has no conviction, but living faith is fully convinced. Now, when we talk about conviction, oftentimes we think about being convicted of sin. And that's half of what conviction is. Conviction, this is the actual definition out of Webster's, is a formal declaration that someone is guilty of a criminal offense. So, yes, guilt over wrongdoing is half of what conviction is. But there's another term. And this is more in the, the Christian realm of things, uh, a firmly held belief. A firmly held belief. So my question is, do you understand, when you have living faith, it actually is a faith that changes things. It actually inspires us to make a difference. So when we feel conviction of sin, if you're truly feeling the conviction of the Lord, you're going to say, I acknowledge that what God is convicting me of is wrong. And so I'm going to change my life. That's true conviction. That's true faith. But conviction goes deeper than that. You understand, I was explaining to somebody about some of the doctrines that we believe. And we are an Assembly of God church. I don't know if you're aware of that. And the Assembly of God has 16 fundamental doctrines. And you ask me, you say, Pastor, do you believe in all 16 of those fundamental doctrines? And my answer is, yes, I believe in all of them. But I believe in some more than I believe in others. Do you believe in some doctrines more than others? You should. Because let me give you an example. If somebody comes up to me and says, um, deny Jesus or die. Someone holds a gun to my head and says, deny Jesus as Lord and Savior or die. I will say, peace out. I'll say, I believe. I'm not going to deny Jesus. Jesus says, if you deny me here, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. And I'm not doing that, friend. I am convicted. I am fully convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I am fully convinced that he is the only means by which man can be saved and forgiven. So I fully trust and rely. I would lay down my life for the gospel of Jesus. That's conviction. That's conviction. You hold a gun to my head and say, deny the Bible. That's not the word of God. 
Friend, I would die for the Bible. I would lay down my life for the authority of Scripture. But if you come to me and say, deny the pre-tribulation rapture or die, I'm going to say, uh, hang on. Let's have a Bible study, friend. Like, let's, let's talk about this. Now, do you say, do you believe in the rapture? Absolutely, I do. But am I willing to die for the timing of the rapture? No, I'm not. There's some people who love the Lord a lot, and some very smart people who say, well, the rapture is going to be here, and there's others say, well, the rapture is going to be here, and to me, until I see, I'm going to be ready no matter what. But you guys understand what I'm saying. There's some things that are like deep-held convictions, and there's others, I believe it, but let's talk about this a little bit. Now, what does that have to do with anything? Well, the Bible says, he's actually, James, he goes into this thing where he's like kind of having a debate. He's like, you say you have faith, and you say I have works. Well, listen, you show me your faith without works. But I'm going to demonstrate with, for you what true faith looks like by my works. And then he says something that's pretty mind-blowing. He says, even, he says, you say there's one God, which, by the way, is like the core of all doctrine right there. That's what everything hinges on. We believe that our God is one God. And he says, you believe there's one God. You do well. Guess what? Even the demons believe and tremble. Is it enough just to believe in order to be received into the kingdom? Jesus said no. He said those who do works the will of my Father. He says even demons, even Satan knows there's one God. They have right doctrine. Now, friend, listen, I love doctrine. I love Bible studies. I will devour this thing. But all this does is it affirms my relationship with Jesus. That's what the Bible does for me. That's what doctrine does for me. Doctrine shows me. I mean, when I begin to study the sovereignty of God, I don't know if you've ever studied the sovereignty. I mean, that's a deep topic right there. And as I begin to study this thing, it's like, wow, God, you're big. Wow, God, you can do any. changes the way I pray. Changes the declarations that I, it moves me to action. What do we believe? Do we have no conviction? Or are we living fully convinced? Uh, worship team, if you'll come, I'm going to, I'm drawn to a close here. What do you, let's, let's review this really quickly. What was the first one? What do you say? Everybody say, what do you say? Do we have empty confessions or do we have confessions motivated by truth? Do we believe and act upon what we say? The second question, what was the second point? What do we, what do we feel? Do you have false compassion? Are you just like, you know, oh, I hope the best for them. Or are you actually doing something with what God? That's what Jesus, he was moved with compassion. It moved him. He felt something and he acted upon it. He was 
moved. And the third one is what do you, what is it? What do you what? What do you believe? Are you fully convinced? Or do you have little to no conviction? Demons believe, but they're not convicted, friend. They're not convinced, oh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. These are tests of whether our faith is alive or dead. Is it alive? Would you stand all across the room? We're going we're to close in a moment. You know, I, I, I got really encouraged this last week as I was with the with a number of pastors, we were with about 90 pastors this last week for a small gathering of, of leaders. And one of the things that encouraged me so much is I was hearing from Pastor Hennessy, who's preached here a number of times. Many of you know him. He is, what is he, 67 or something like that? But I'm listening to this guy preach, and I mean... You guys, he's preaching in a way that I've never heard before. And he's sharing things that God has been doing in him and speaking to him that it's like, oh my goodness. Like, I'm like, who are you? I mean, it's just like, God is still ministering. One of the things that makes me really nervous is when you ask people for testimony and all they can tell you about is that prayer that they prayed 20 years ago. A decade ago, yeah, I was in drugs, and then I got, and then I prayed in an altar. You know, I like we're, we're in early morning prayer. You just go talk to the sisters sometimes. Baba, Liko, Iola. You know what I like about these ladies is they always they'll, they'll come up to me sometimes after prayer and be like, "I gave an offering," and my husband was asking me, "Well, what's what's this big giving about?" And uh, but. I got an unexpected bonus. Look at what God is doing. Like, I mean, she's so excited. It's like, it's not just a testimony about 40 years ago. It's a testimony about last week. Is your faith alive? Has God been doing something today? I mean, this is like, like, if your faith is alive, you ought to be able to ask, man, what's the Lord been speaking to you? What's God been doing in your life? And there, there should be something, not just, not just years ago, but I think it was Michael Kitchen that said something like, I get to tell testimonies about not what God did in 1995, but what God did last Sunday. I mean, you guys... That's living faith. I don't know if God has put his finger on any area of your life today. Maybe, maybe you're prone to giving false confessions, empty confessions. And you feel like God is saying, no, I want to make it real today. Or maybe you're here and you have that false compassion, like, I know I'm supposed to care for the poor. I know I'm supposed to care for widows. I, I know I'm supposed to care for whatever the need may be. But your faith doesn't move you to actually do something. I'm going to pray that your faith come alive today. 
Or maybe you're here and, man, you've got doctrines, you've got theology. Demons have that. But you're saying, God, I want you to make it real. I want what I believe to actually move me to action. I want what I believe to change the way that I pray. I want what I believe to to change the way that I act, the things that I do, the way that I live. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. God, I ask all across this room now, Lord, would you minister to us God, I I believe with all of my heart you've put your finger on areas of our life that you say, hey, you say this is faith, but you're not acting on it. Is it even faith? Is it alive? Is it moving us? God, I'm asking that today you would speak to us. Lord, I believe that you're pouring out your spirit in unprecedented measure. And if we're going to host, if we're going to walk in what you're doing, God, we need to be people of faith. We need to people be a people that don't just believe and say the right things, but we need to be a people who do what you ask us to do. Oh, Holy Spirit. Come on, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, Holy Spirit speaking to me today. And there's areas where I've said I've believed, but I've not taken action. He's asked me to do something, but I haven't obeyed. I have the right theology. I have the right words, but I haven't done the thing. Come on, how many of you, you say, yeah, God's speaking to me in one area or another. Can I see your hand? Yeah, 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 yeah. So many, so many. So many. This is what I'm going to ask. Can we all lift our hands as a sign of surrender right now? Oh, Jesus. I ask that you would breathe on us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that faith would come alive on the inside of each and every one of us. God, that you would move us to a new realm of faith in the name of Jesus. God, not just words, not just doctrines. Lord, but you would actually, Lord, even as you were moved, you looked upon lepers, you looked upon the dead, you looked upon those who were hungry, you looked at the needy, and your word says you were moved with compassion. Lord, I'm asking that all across this room, you would birth of faith on the inside of us. It's not just a doctrine or a statement, but Lord, you would birth in us something that actually moves us. God, that there would be something so deep that there would be like a rumbling, an awakening on the inside of us, O oh Lord. Lord, that faith would be alive and it would move us to action. It would move us to change. It would move us to transformation. Oh, in the mighty name of Jesus. Oh, God, I pray faith would be so strong. Come on, there's going to be some of you that you're going to be walking through the store and you're going to see somebody on crutches. And there's going to be such a compassion that overwhelms you that the Lord is going to move you to action. Oh, Jesus, 
Give us greater faith, O Lord. Grow our faith, O God, to believe for more than we believe for. Oh, Jesus. God, I pray, oh, when you speak to us about sin or compromise, God, that it would rest so deep on us that it actually makes us change. That we repent of the things that grieve you. We turn away and we change our life. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God, I pray wisdom and revelation. God, help us to stay in faith. Oh, my. Church, do you realize that this building program, that worship space is in faith right now? And faith moves us to action. That's why. That's why I show up and I contend in prayer. That's why I give in the building program. That's why we'll show up on work days and clean out uh, uh, different areas because it moves me to action. But there's going to be a time where that building program is finished and it's not going to be faith anymore. It's going to be reality. I remember a story Dr. Morocco shared. He said they had finished all their building programs. And he felt a voice speak to him. Now you can relax. Now you can rest. Some of you might think, wow, that sounds like God. That's not how he heard that. He's like, that's the devil. You know what he did? He immediately went out and bought a property to start a new church. Why? Why? Because he needed to stay in faith. I got to be believing for something more. I need to be believing for greater. Friend, what are you believing for? What are you contending for? Are you still postured in faith and are you taking action to move towards those things? Some of you, it's a ministry that lays before you. Some of you, you're contending for family members. I've been watching a revival happen in Auntie Nettie's house, man. She's in prayer. It's in faith. She'd pray for her husband. She'd pray for her kids. She'd pray for her grandkids. And we have been watching God answer every single one of those prayers. It's been amazing. But guess what, Auntie? I hope you're lengthening your prayer list because there's others. As you believe for them, because, you know, your family that's with you now, this isn't faith anymore. This is the fulfillment of faith. Thank you, Lord. What are you contending for? You can pray for lost people, but have you invited somebody? Oh, man. I, I wish I could just lay hands on you and just like you get this, but you got to go do something. You gotta do something with what God has birthed on the inside of you.